You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are here to set the stage for a Big Ten showdown in Beaver Stadium, noon kickoff between the number 13 Nittany Lions of Penn State and the unbeaten Buckeyes of Ohio State who come in at number two in the nation. We have a good chance in just a moment to talk about this Buckeye squad with Patrick Murphy from Bucknuts, uh, which is the 24-7 Sports Ohio State site. We've had Patrick to preview this matchup at least a couple seasons in a row now. We're happy to do that again. Uh, after we hear from him on Ohio State, you'll you'll hear from our colleagues once again who always join us on Thursday. Uh, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. We'll dive into some of the things we saw at practice with Penn State on Wednesday evening, what we heard from James Franklin following that practice session and gather our final thoughts for this game week, give you our final predictions on Penn State versus Ohio State. But as I just referenced, it's time to get to it with Patrick Murphy, who's kind enough to join us on a game week. We're going to return the favor on his podcast a little bit later this week. Uh, but Patrick, as I said, this is kind of a perennial deal uh, with you coming on the Lions 24-7 podcast, so we're happy to keep that going. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about this game. Uh, this might be the the most excited I've been to talk about Ohio State game this year because I could see this being significantly more of a challenge than pretty much anything Ohio State's faced. Maybe Notre Dame just going into week one because we didn't really know much. But, um, yeah, most of the games it's been pretty cut and dry before they kicked off. I'm not sure this one is that, so it should be fun. We've talked about it quite a bit this week. We'll do it more in a bit when we talk about the, the Penn State vantage point. But they have played Ohio State as tough as anybody and made them earn it as much as anybody in this conference. A, a seven-point average margin of victory for the Buckeyes during this five-game win streak. But the end result is a win. Time and time again, we are used to Ohio State and Penn State being a, a matchup between two ranked opponents at a key juncture of the season. We are used to Ohio State rolling out a Heisman Trophy candidate at the quarterback position. What maybe aren't we used to about this Buckeyes squad? What's a little bit different here in 2022? Well, at least when we're talking about the last two seasons, it's the Buckeye defense. And that's been kind of the Achilles heel for this team. And I say that knowing that people may roll their eyes given Ohio State played in the national championship game in 2020. Look, that was a strange year. Ohio State only played six games before the playoff. It, I, I think if that season had been played out in its entirety, maybe the Buckeyes lose one because of that defense. And then obviously last year you saw Ohio State lose twice to Oregon and Michigan. It's It's been an issue in Columbus. Ryan Day didn't even wait till the whole season was over before the Rose Bowl last year, went out to get um, uh, Jim Knowles as the new defensive coordinator. He wanted a head coach of the defense and, and found one in the, the former Oklahoma State defensive coordinator. Look, it's it's been an impressive turnaround. Ohio State, you just look at the numbers last year. It was bad defensively. I think if if people listening to this probably saw the Buckeyes in a few games, but like the Rose Bowl is is the easiest example where Ohio State just couldn't stop Utah, especially in the first half, or a little bit better in the second half. This year, the Buckeye defense numbers are all really good, but what stands out to me, and, and maybe this is sad to say, especially early in the year, was the way that this team just does the things it's supposed to, does the things that you expect of a you know, a defense on either side of, of this game, um, you know, Ohio State or Penn State defense. It's the things like running to the ball, you know, being lined up where you're supposed to be, things like that that just weren't happening the last two years, and, and it caused issues for the Buckeyes. So this year the, the Buckeye defense has matched um, what the offense is doing on the other side of the ball, and, and they've even been able to win, you know, a couple games. The Notre Dame game, they had to the, kind of hold down their end of the bargain while Ohio State's offense got in gear in the first game of the season. 
You could say the same was true a week ago when, when Ohio State played Iowa and it took a while for the offense to kind of wear down Iowa's defense. The defense had a touchdown, six turnovers. So it's, it's, it's definitely an improved defense. The numbers may be a bit higher than, uh, you know, the, the rankings may be a bit higher than this defense actually is just given the offenses they play. But I think this week will will be its big, the Ohio State's biggest test dealing with what Penn State has to offer on the offensive side of the ball. I know that you will be in the press box with the, with us at Beaver Stadium. Before the game, we've always got our binoculars out trying to figure out who's going to be available, who's going to be sidelined. What are you going to be watching for before we get into all the games and how great the defense may be this year and how excellent the offense is right now for Ohio State? What are some of the roster concerns, personnel losses that may be in the mix for this matchup? Well, so Ohio State puts out an availability report. Um, usually it's like at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. So that gives us some idea, but you know, it's just available unavailable and game time decision. So we'll have a better idea of what to look for based on that. But I can tell you for sure, Jackson Smith and Jigba will be a guy that, that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on. He's He got hurt against Notre Dame in the first half, injured his hamstring, came back two weeks later, injured it again, and has been out until last week when he played 22 snaps against Iowa, caught one pass, and then left the game after a route where it looked like he pulled up and, and injured the hamstring again. He was on the sideline talking to trainers. He was sort of stretching and jogging. Kept his helmet for the rest of the half. Uh, Ryan Day said on, on the television broadcast, or maybe it was a radio broadcast at halftime, that they probably wouldn't put him back in the game. After the game, Ryan Day said that this was more of a pitch count thing than a re-injury. I'm not sure I buy that because I saw with my eyes Jackson Smith and Jigba appear to get hurt again. We will see what his availability is. Ryan Day seemed to indicate when we talked to him earlier this week that Jackson would would continue to be evaluated throughout the week, but the plan was for him to go. So that's certainly a guy to keep an eye on. And then cornerback Cameron Brown, guy who the last time he played at Beaver Stadium tore his Achilles, missed last week's game. He's been in and out with injuries throughout the season. He's expected back from, from my understanding, um, but we'll see – we, we don't know what the injury is, uh, but he's another guy, you know, guy who's been starting for Ohio State when healthy this year. It's been inconsistent for Ohio State at cornerback. If, if there has been a weakness on the defense, it's certainly been at that position. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he's back in, in the rotation at cornerback there as well. Can we go back to, to Smith and Jigba? Because the remarkable thing here is last year, 95 receptions, 1,600 yards, nine touchdowns for Ohio State. You lose a guy like that in game one and you struggle to get him back on the field, it's going to torpedo a lot of passing attacks. And then I'm working my way through the stat sheet on what uh, on what Ohio State has done thus far. They've got three receivers with six-plus touchdowns at midseason right now. We knew about the depth of the position. Can you just get into the details on why it's working? Well, it starts with recruiting. And not only is Ohio State recruiting highly talented guys, you know, Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming were both the top ranked receivers in their individual classes. Marvin Harrison Jr. was a top 15 receiver and comes from a pretty good pedigree. Um, his dad, obviously, a, a Hall of Famer in the NFL. So, you know, talent wise, it's, it's certainly there. But the, the biggest thing I think is that these guys have been willing to wait their turn. Um, they've been willing to concede catches. Uh, you know, when, when we were talking to receivers before Jackson came back last week about how his reinsertion into this offense might change things because guys have kind of gotten into a groove, their, their response was it won't change anything at all. You know, guys may be in different positions or line up a little bit differently or maybe their snaps change, but they just want the success of the team. And, and I, I honestly, I think a lot of guys would say that, but I think other places you may see, especially at a receiver position, which is known for being a diva statistic you know, driven position, you'd see guys get a little upset when, when they're not playing. Um, these guys have, have not done that, but, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. And Mecca Ibuka were both sitting on the bench for most of last year, despite how talented they were obviously behind guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I think you combine the talent and then recruiting guys who know that you may have to sacrifice a little bit and, and maybe you don't put up the biggest numbers that you could if you went somewhere and you were the guy. I think that that combination has worked really well. And then 
you got to give a lot of credit to, to wide receivers coach Brian Hartline. He played at Ohio State. He played at the NFL. He's come back to Ohio State. And, and the way he coaches these receivers, you know, he maximizes their already really high potential. And it's, it's been, been proven here over the last few years as Ohio State has just continued to churn out these, these top wide receivers, what he can do in terms of a coach at that position. You mentioned waiting your turn, watching a lot of football before you get to play a lot of football. And the primary example of that is a guy that Penn State fans, I know they shiver a little bit when they hear this name, but Julian Fleming, he's a factor this time around. He was not much of a factor the last couple matchups. He's been in an Ohio State uniform, but returning to Beaver Stadium now, a place that he obviously visited as a prospect. He was in the building as a freshman when Ohio State won here, but there was no crowd here. This, to me, is a major X factor in the game, uh, how he's going to control those nerves, how Penn State's going to counter him defensively, because if Smith and Jigba is unavailable or very limited, he figures to continue that prominent role. 17 catches this year, but six touchdowns, 327 yards. This is a guy who had 150 receiving yards and one score through his first two college seasons, the number one wide receiver in our rankings of 24-7 sports. People were starting to throw out around that bust word a little bit because of the box scores. How far has he come and, and how much do Penn State fans need to be aware of his presence on the field this Saturday? Again, there's been a lot of discussion about him being a non-factor in Columbus for the first 25 or so games of his career. Yeah, he, he battled some injuries the last two years, really. He came in with a shoulder injury from high school that just kept getting worse. Um, he's wearing a brace on his arm and shoulder during his freshman season. Finally, after his freshman season, they were like, you need surgery on this. And it, you know, to him, he, he just kind of lived with it. And it wasn't something that he realized was, was as bad as it probably was. And so I think that really limited him a lot his freshman year. Last year, he had some hamstrings issues that, that kept him kind of in and out when he, when, of being on the field. Um, but I also think you look at where he came from in terms of high school. He wasn't playing in, in this style of offense. It was more of that wing T. You know, obviously he put up big numbers. They were able to take deep shots to him and whatnot. But he had to learn how to fit into Ohio State's offense, what it took to be a receiver at Ohio State. And then the injuries obviously derailed that because he wasn't able to practice as much as he would have liked. He wasn't able to get on the field. When he was on the field, it didn't look like the player that, as you mentioned, was the top-ranked receiver in, in the class. So he's talked a lot, every, and this story comes up quite frequently, that you know he, he had to accept that his journey is different than some of the other guys. You know, Garrett Wilson came in as a freshman, was playing by the end of the year, was playing in the college football playoff against Clemson. Jackson Smith and Jigba burst onto the scene last year as a sophomore. Um, you know, it's taken Julian Fleming some time to, to find his spot in this offense and be healthy enough to, to serve a, a really important role. And he's become a big play threat for this team. Last week against Iowa, he only caught two passes, but he caught a, what was a 79 yard or 79 yard touchdown. You know, he's, he's been able to kind of be the forgotten guy, both in terms of how much he was playing before, but now, you know, defense is have to cover somebody more than the others, right? And you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka in there. Those are guys who have put up big numbers all year. Okay, those are the guys a lot of defenses have focused on. It's allowed Julian Fleming to get some one-on-one -on -one coverage. He's still not 100% healthy, but he's – and you can tell that with you know his running sometimes. It looks like he's still battling whatever kind of kept him out early in the season. But he's doing certainly enough to be that factor for Ohio state it hasn't been a ton of catches, but he's been very efficient with them. And more often than not, they've resulted in some big plays. We've talked a lot about the past targets. Let's talk about the trigger man because James Franklin put a lot of respect on CJ Stroud's name during his Tuesday press conference regarding how this offense orchestrates and how it executes uh, 70% completion to this point, 28 touchdowns, four interceptions. We are all well aware of the Heisman trophy campaign and the quest that he is on. Uh, tell us a little bit about C.J. Stroud and how this campaign may look a little bit different than last campaign. I think what C.J. Stroud realized after last year was that, look, the, the numbers are going to come because he's in this Ohio State offense, and with that will come whatever awards are, are you know available for him if, if he does what he's supposed to do. But 
The difference I've noticed in CJ, and, and it's been talked about a lot around here from Ryan Day and his teammates, is that the, the stats aren't the biggest thing for him anymore. And we talked to him before the Rose Bowl. And he said finishing fourth in the Heisman was something that was going to motivate him. He thought he, he deserved to be higher up in the voting. And he, he went out and obviously put on a show along with Jackson Smith and Jigba in the Rose Bowl. And then I think he realized over the offseason that if you want to be one of those Ohio State quarterbacks that, that gets remembered, you have to do the, the things first like beat Michigan, win a Big Ten championship, play in the college football playoff. You, know, you look back at the, the Ohio State quarterbacks of late, really other than Dwayne Haskins, who only started one year, all of them got to the playoff and accomplished those other things as well. And with, with how C.J. Stroud's first season as a starter went, he didn't beat Michigan, first quarterback in a long time not to do so didn't get to play in the Big Ten Championship game and didn't go to the playoffs. So I think he understands that, look, if he is the quarterback that everyone thinks he is, and he has been so far this year, and if Ohio State is winning and getting to the, you know, getting to those places, he'll be in the Heisman Trophy discussion. You know, it's not like Ohio State's going to change the offense and they're all of a sudden going to run the ball all the time, but they have had to run the ball more this year. And teams have taken away some things that CJ Stroud was able to do last season and, and, you know, made him take some underneath stuff and made the Buckeyes run the ball. And sometimes it's like I said, the defense has had to step up and, and kind of hold, hold their end of the bargain until the offense got going. So not every game has looked like some of the games last year with 300 yards and six touchdowns and things like that. There have been those games, but he's after every game talking about how he just, you know, he wants to win, whether he puts up big numbers or not. And I think that changes things for the offense as a whole. It, it has allowed them to kind of be more or, you know, have more of that chemistry and, and kind of spread things out with that running game. And now you can incorporate that in with the pass. And, you know, he, he's still throwing the ball well. He's developed, as you might expect, in that aspect. He still makes some ridiculous throws. He's also made some mistakes. He, he's certainly not perfect and he still has areas he needs to improve on. But I think that's the biggest difference between him last year and this year is that willingness to accept okay, the defense may take away some of our passing and we may have to win the games differently. And, you know, I believe him when he says that's what matters to him. Well, on the ground, we know that very capable as well. And there was, I think, a, a tendency for a lot of people until they maybe dug a little bit deeper this week to, to say this is the Travion Henderson show at running back. And then you say, oh, well, Mayan Williams is six carries shy of where Henderson is at this point in the season, but he's got more yards. He's averaging seven per carry. He's got nine touchdowns to Henderson's four. This is all me not to say that Henderson has been disappointing. This is to say that they certainly have options at running back right now. How do you expect them to utilize these guys against Penn State? And, and how has that gone so far? Is it a hot hand situation? Is it uh, sticking with a rotational approach? Because we've watched Penn State try to have a balancing act of their own this season. It's been interesting. I came into the season saying that, look, Ohio State can say all they want in fall camp that – they're going to use multiple running backs and, and they lost redshirt freshman Evan Pryor for the season during fall camp. But there was talk at one point about three running backs in this rotation. I'm like, look, you have Travion Henderson on your roster. He was the number one running back in the country. He set Ohio state freshman records last year. He's uber talented. You're not going to rotate him out of the game. And I have been wrong. And I'll fully admit that Mayan Williams has continuously developed during his time at Ohio state not a highly recruited kid out of Cincinnati, three-star recruit, talented, but but not at the level of a guy like Travion Henderson at that point. And he's worked his way into that. And they have used them very smartly, I think, um, you know, to, to kind of keep each guy fresh for this later point in the season. Uh, you asked about how they've used them. It has been quite the rotation. Um, you know, it, at times they've ridden a bit of a hot hand, but more often than not, it's it's been Tony Alfred, the running backs coach, you know, whether it be series by series or, or whatever it may be, you know, they, these guys have, have played pretty much even snaps. Now the exception has been when injuries have struck and, and both guys have missed a game already this year. Travion Henderson um, missed an, a half in another game and a half in a different game. So, you know, that's kind of where Mayan Williams has been able to pull away with some of the touchdowns and, and whatnot. But yeah, it's been a pretty even approach when they're both healthy. I expect that to continue. Look, it'll be interesting if they get into what is a really close game. 
if, if you do go with a hot hand. But even against Notre Dame, when they needed to rely on the run in the second half, both guys got their carries. And so I think it's just worked out well that, that they complement each other well. They give the offense a little bit of differences when they're in the game, but they both can do a lot of the things that Ohio State wants to do. And, you know, if you're rotating them throughout much of the game, then later on in the game, you can you can keep them fresh. And that doesn't always work. You mentioned it at Penn State, um, but we've seen it at Ohio State. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber were rotating a few years back, and it was clear J.K. Dobbins was the better running back. This has been a case where it just has worked for, for whatever reason. All right, we talked a lot about the guys who are going to have the ball in their hands a bunch on Saturday. How about the big fellas? What is cooking in the trenches for Ohio State at 7-0? Can you talk us through both the defensive, offensive lines, and what they're bringing to town? The offensive line-wise, it'll be interesting to see because I'd say last week against Iowa was probably their worst performance, um, and, and the line's been pretty good so far this year. It's, you know, a group made up of, of kind of a who's who's of recruiting for the most part. And last week, I think Iowa really tested them with, with some of the stuff they, they brought. I mean, one of the first offensive plays, they brought a stunt from the outside, a twist from the outside, and, and both the left tackle and left guard blocked the same guy. The defensive end came in clean on C.J. Stroud, and it was a, a strip sack and return for a touchdown. And, you know, there was a lot of a lot of struggles running the ball because they, they couldn't get the push they wanted. So I'll be interested to see how they respond. Obviously, you know, credit to Iowa's defense. It's, it's one of the best in the country and you expected a challenge there, but you know, this offensive line went into that game pretty confident and, and kind of got knocked off the pedestal a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back in this one defensive line. You know, the numbers aren't great. If you, you look at statistics and sacks and tackles for loss and stuff, They've gotten better throughout the year, but I think the line as a whole has played well. Michael Hall, defensive tackle, Michael Hall Jr. is a is a guy to probably keep an eye on in, in the middle there. He's been kind of a, a game wrecker at times against Michigan State a few weeks ago. He played, I think, eight snaps because he was, was just coming back from injury, had two and a half sacks. Now, Michigan State, we, we, you can say what you want about them, but it just goes to show – what he's been able to contribute from that position. Um, you've got, you know, recognized names from recruiting like JT Tuomalau and Jack Sawyer, who were five-star kids two years ago. Zach Harrison, who's a senior now and, and you know, has kind of carved out a, a pretty nice role. I wrote about him this past week. Um, so they've definitely got some weapons in there defensively. Like I said, it, it hasn't been a, a big sack, big tackle for a loss group, but they just kind of do their job and, and have been effective in doing so. Now, Ohio State's back seven year after year is always filled with elite talent, guys who have tremendous pedigree, a bunch of them who go on to play in the NFL for a long time. But the results haven't always been there. It feels like the defensive line has been kind of where they can plant their flag. They've got a new defensive coordinator in town. What can you tell us about this unit's ability to, as you said, wreck games, swing momentum? Who are the guys who can deliver those moments? And what's your assessment of that back seven through these seven matchups? It's been a different look this year. Jim Knowles has gone with, um, he calls it a safety-driven defense, three safeties on the field. Uh, real, I mean, Tanner McAllister, who actually came from Oklahoma State with him, so to speak, uh, transferring over, is is a nickelback. So I guess technically you, you could almost label that a corner, but three safeties technically on the field. Uh, that means two linebackers a lot of the time, though last week against Iowa, we saw some more three linebacker looks. The safeties have been very good. Ronnie Hickman, who led the team in tackles last year, has been impressive not having to do as much because not as much is coming back his way. Um, Josh Proctor started the year at the other safety position, but has seemingly lost his spot to Lathan Ransom, who broke his leg in the uh, Rose Bowl and worked his way back to be able to you know be a, a key contributor from from the start this season and, and now at least last two games has been a starter Josh Proctor was out last week with an illness but even uh two games ago Lathan Ransom started over Proctor so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that dynamic plays out the cornerbacks as I mentioned have have been the weak point of this defense um I think if you look individually there have been some big plays given up by really any of the cornerbacks that have played, and they've had to play some depth this year. But I also think 
from you know press box view, not television view, there have been some good plays made by this group. Um, you just don't always see it because the you know the camera doesn't pan there when they're not involved in the play. So I think it's it's kind of just been a mixed bag. There's been big plays given up, some touchdowns given up. Denzel Burke, who was a freshman All-American a year ago, has been very inconsistent. He also dealt, he had to have hand surgery a few weeks back, missed a game for that. So that could have been an issue. I think the last two games he's played better than uh, than he had to start the season. But like I said, it's it's sort of been a mixed bag. I think, you know, with, with Penn State's receivers, that could be a place where the Nittany Lions can attack Ohio State or, you know, at least – that seems to be where, where teams have had success is just going after these cornerbacks. They certainly haven't done anything to scare anybody this year. You know, the, you look at the numbers that the past defense has been good, but it's not always been because of the cornerback play. All right. Well, special teams, I always I don't want to skip over that because it can cost you in a tight game. Uh, any concerns there? Anything they do very well there? The kick and punt returns have been underwhelming for Ohio State, which is strange because obviously a place like this, you, you just have so many elite athletes. Um, now, you know, a lot of times that there have been fair catch, you know, they're not returning a ton just because of the, the way things have played out, but there haven't been many, you know, explosive plays when they've been able to return. I talked about Igmeka Buka earlier. He was doing um, the punt returning for, for the vast majority of the season. Um, they did have a linebacker, strangely enough, Chip Trainum, who is a former running back, played running back at Arizona State the last two years for transferring to Ohio State. They had him on kick returns. Um, he'd fumbled a couple, hadn't really cost Ohio State, but uh, they changed last week to, to putting a receiver back there. They just haven't they haven't had much. I mean, they're, they're at the bottom, I think, in both statistical categories in terms of that and, you, you know, in terms of returning yards. The other side, you know, it's been solid. Um, Noah Ruggles, Ohio State's kicker, missed one. I think it was against Notre Dame, but has made all the rest. He made four last week, including, I think, a 49-yarder, which ties his career long. Um, you know, punting Jesse Mirko, one of those Australian punters that we, you know, have seen become more popular around the country. He's He's been solid. Not that Ohio State has had to punt very often, but when needed to, um, he's been good, including – uh, taking off and running for a first down later in the fourth quarter against Iowa, which, or sorry, against Rutgers, which pissed off the uh, the Rutgers uh, sideline and caused Greg Schiano sure and Ryan Bay to get in kind of a spat. But um, yeah, it's been it's been a solid group on that side. The, the return game is where they just haven't been able to get much going. All right, let's finish with this. What are you hearing in Columbus about this Penn State team, and where are you leaning? If you want to throw a score out, that's awesome from a prediction standpoint, but what do you think about how this one plays out on Saturday afternoon? I did a, a live podcast earlier uh, today, and you know people are commenting in it, and it was mostly Ohio State people. A number of people commented that they were they were nervous about this game, and you know I think it's because you mentioned earlier, this has been – while Ohio State's won the last five games, this, these games have been close. Buckeyes have had to come from behind a number of times, um, some of them in, in pretty remarkable fashion. So while I think most Ohio State fans feel like Ohio State will win, I do think that there's a, a nerve level among Buckeye Nation for this one, just given the, the history. I know Ohio State fans are happy that this is a noon game and not uh, the, the whiteout and, and all that going into it. Um, not that I expect Beaver Stadium to, to not be electric, though it'll be my first time there, not for a night game. So I'm, I'm interested to see that. But um, yeah, I haven't done, we, we have our score predictions due later this week. So I haven't come up with one yet. But, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to pick against Ohio State right now. Until the Buckeyes show me otherwise, I feel like I, I have to, you know, keep rolling with, with a team that is winning by an average of, I think it's up to like, 36 points per game right now. I do think that this is going to be the toughest challenge for Ohio State. I do think this will probably be the closest game Ohio State's played, and maybe with the exception of of the Notre Dame game, which was an 11-point game at the beginning of the year. So, you know, I think this will be, um, you know, a more entertaining game than most of the ones I've covered this year. I had a friend ask me last week, like, does it get boring watching this team just, just roll to wins and writing more or less the same thing? And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's something to that. I mean, I guess it's better than watching the team lose every week, like some teams in the country. But, 
you know, there, there is some redundancy to it for sure. Um, especially when you can start writing stuff in, in the first half, but um, you know, I, I don't think that will be this game. I think it will be compelling throughout as we've normally seen when these two teams meet, especially in state college. You will get no pity from this Penn State fan base for for having to write about Ohio State blowouts. Uh, Patrick Murphy, we appreciate it. You do a great job over at Bucknuts, which is the Ohio State home in the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, Definitely come say hello in the press box. Uh, We'll talk to you real soon. Sounds good. Thanks. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks again to Patrick. We now know a lot more about the Buckeyes than we did coming into that conversation. Uh, enjoyed returning the favor with him this week on his podcast as well. Let's get back with some familiar faces, though, here on the Lions 24-7 podcast and bring in Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan, my colleagues at Lions247.com. As always, Thursday afternoons, we sit down and record, gather our thoughts on the game week that was, and then look ahead and give our final predictions on the Saturday to come. And guys, we always begin with a look back at Wednesday when we get a chance to go onto the practice field on a weekly basis. And there were some interesting things to look for going onto the field, Daniel, based on what we didn't see last Saturday, more so who we didn't see. No Landon Tangwall, uh, no Kevon Lee, no Chop Robinson against Minnesota on the practice field yesterday. One of those guys, Chop Robinson, on the practice field, involved, participating in everything as far as we could tell. Two of them, running back Kevon Lee, the junior, and then the starting left left guard for this team through five games, Landon Tangwall, not accounted for. And uh, generally speaking, that offensive line is going to be an area we've got to keep close tabs on late morning Saturday in Beaver Stadium. Definitely. And then on top of that, with the offensive line, you factor in that we saw Caden Wallace uh, leave that game or leave the Minnesota game early and not return. We saw Sal Wormley uh, on the bench for an extended period of time. Um, and he only returned after Bryce Effner had to move to right guard to right tackle uh, from right guard to replace Wallace. So there's a lot of moving parts. I think that, you know, as soon as those offensive linemen come out, uh, we're going to be figuring out who's lining up where, um, you know, what different formations we might see, what what combinations we're looking at. But when you look at a defense as talented as Ohio State, you need that offensive line uh, to be ready. You need that offensive line to be you know, intact in uh, in some way. So it'll be interesting, uh, but over the next, you know, I guess less than 48 hours at this point um, from time of recording of, of, you know, when we finally see these offense linemen out there, what it looks like, because it's going to look different than it did uh, earlier this month. Now, Kevon Lee can't go, doesn't necessarily seem to make a major impact in the game plan because of how his involvement has gone what that trajectory has been like since early September to where it is now. He's been the clear and pretty distant number three running back between the two freshmen, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. But Mark, we, we keep going back to this. Things can get thin in a hurry and it's just, it's a, it's not a comfortable situation. If Kevon Lee can't go Saturday, we'll see, we'll be keeping tabs on him. He was in uniform for pregame warmups against Minnesota. He was in street clothes by the time they were playing the football game. Uh, but but this is just one of those more under-the-radar names to monitor, not so much because of the on-the-surface impact, but just in case something happens where you don't have Singleton or Allen for even a couple series, Tank Smith, uh, that, that's, a, that's a precarious situation, all credit to him, that have him being your number two running back against the Ohio State Buckeyes. Easy. Easy on Tank Smith. Come on, man. I said I all love, due respect I before Tank. I said it. <laughs> all due respect, but I'm going to do disrespect you, Tank. No, I mean, first of all, hey, Tank has been a tremendous uh, walk-on scout team player for them. 
and the fact that he's there to be able to step up if they need him, you know, I think is a good thing. But your point is well taken. You know, let's not forget, and I know it seems like it was forever ago, but when that Purdue game was on the line and they really needed a guy that they knew exactly what they were going to get from him late in the game, uh, Kevon Lee was the guy who was there. Now, would that happen if he's healthy against Ohio State? I'm not sure, but it's good to know that you have that guy. And, you know, let's also not forget that we're only a couple games removed from those freshman running backs having some serious fumble troubles. Now, that appears as if it was an aberration. But if a fumble or two pops up early in this uh, in this Ohio State game, and you know with the athletes that Ohio State has and the scouting that they've done, that they are going to be hunting and attacking the football, uh, you're really left with no margin for error. I would say the, the one good thing is that at least Kevon Lee was still with the team and around the team uh, for that for that Minnesota game. I mean, he's clearly a team leader. I think he's handled this thing well, outwardly to us at least. And at least to have him on the sideline as a sounding board is a positive. But, you know, typically if we've not seen somebody on Wednesday, you know, we usually don't see him on Saturday. So if he can play, it's, it's a good thing. If not, they have to hope those two kids stay healthy and don't make mistakes and do what they need to do. Yeah, let's keep that clear. Kevon Lee with the team. We saw him uh, interacting in uniform again last Saturday. I know people have seen some running back departures from the veterans in this room in the last couple of months. So just making that very clear. Um, the guy we did see, and, and, and by the way, that's back-to-back Wednesdays where Landon Tengwall was not on the field during what we witnessed the Penn State practice. And same goes for Kevon Lee. But getting Chop Robinson and seeing him involved and in uniform and, and, and involved with the contact periods was pretty important for, for this matchup, guys. I mean, you think about uh, someone you out of that group, who do you need to get back the most? Um, I don't think you want to be able to having to, to shuffle things on your offensive line and, and Landon Tangwall missing this game would be part of that potentially, but Chop Robinson would be top on my list if I'm the Nittany Lions and you can get one of those guys back um, because what he can do off the edge, one sack on the season, it was a strip sack at Auburn. He helped close out that Purdue game with the pressure. He's had some timely other pressures that haven't really been reflected in his overall stat sheet, but if there's a guy at feels who is, at the ability to make a a key third third and long kind of uh, situation into a difficult one for CJ Stroud, it feels like he's the guy you point to on this defensive front right now. And Stroud has not been sacked very often. I think he's been sacked uh, seven times to this point on the season. Seventeen touchdown passes in four Big Ten games. He's been very clean over the course of those games. And Daniel. Chop Robinson is going to step right back into the spotlight if he is back on the field for this team Saturday because this is the kind of moment that they brought him in in for and to get after it with a big-time quarterback and not let him stay clean over the course of this matchup because he will carve you up. Chop Robinson is definitely one of the one of the keys to this game. When you look at the, the Penn State uh, pass rush, Deny Dennis Sutton is still the leader with three sacks, and we all know that those sacks came in garbage time. Johnny Dixon uh, is still right up there with two sacks, and he's a cornerback. So you want to see Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, uh, Nick, even Nick Tarburton get pressure on the quarterback uh, during the the meaningful run of play. Um, and I think, as, especially against a quarterback like C.J. Stroud, I mean, it's that's what you need. You need to do something to at least get him off his spot. Uh, we talked to Terry Smith on Thursday morning, and. He talked a lot about how good C.J. Stroud is when it comes to extending plays, moving the pocket, you know, throwing on the run, even though he's not necessarily a dual threat quarterback. Um, but I think that even if you can get him to do those things, that's a victory for you uh, on defense because it doesn't mean that he's just sitting back there with five seconds and, and is able to, to pick you apart um, once his guys get open downfield. So if Trap Robinson can come back, you know, the, like you said, just only one sack, but in the, in a lot of these games, it feels like he's always around the quarterback. He's always, you know, making something more difficult, maybe flushing the quarterback, you know, at least getting a hand up there um, to give a quarterback something else to think about. I think you need to give CJ Stroud and this Ohio state offense as much to think about as you can. And Chop Robinson plays a very big role in that. Stroud has been sacked three times in four Big Ten games, so it hasn't really been an issue for them to this point. Uh, and with Robinson, uh, with that speed off the edge, we'll see how it works out. Um, Mark, going to the next level of this defense, it feels like outside of Sean Clifford, there's no one who kind of had more of that 
uh, yo-yo experience uh, from Michigan uh, to Minnesota outside of the linebacker unit and what they were able to get done against Muhammad Ibrahim and that Minnesota ground game on Saturday versus what happened in Ann Arbor a couple weeks ago. And it just feels like step on up, fellas, do it again, or this is going to be dire straits for the Nittany Lions against this offense that can just put guys in space and they all got skills and they'll just dice you. Yeah, it's another area that we're really going to have to pay attention to in the pregame. Uh, was Abdul Carter starting a, a one-off thing because you were playing a Minnesota team that you knew wasn't going to be able to throw the ball effectively and you wanted to get a more uh, stout run defender out there? Or are they making the move to get your you know, most athletic, you know, high, highest upside linebacker on the field? Uh, you know, my guess is it's going to be the latter. I think they're trying to be respectful of a team captain and a great leader in Jonathan Sutherland. I mean, it's not easy to take somebody like that out of the starting lineup. But I think after a game like that Michigan game where you get slashed for 400 rushing yards, that wasn't all on Jonathan, Jonathan Sutherland. It wasn't even mostly or whatever. Uh, but I think it was clear that they needed to get bigger at, at linebacker. And even though Ohio State didn't have a huge rushing game against Iowa last week, this is a team that still averages, I think, 5.6 yards per carry, which is second in, in the Big Ten behind only that Michigan team that is, is up at 5'8", based on that 400-yard explosion against Penn State. So everybody gets caught up in, in C.J. Stroud, and, and as well they should. I mean, he's a Heisman front runner and he, he belongs there. But you also have to be able to stop the run. So it's kind of pick your poison. And I think if I'm in their shoes, I, I go with the player with the highest upside. And even if he's going to, to to make a few mistakes, you know, I think you invest in him now, hope that it pays off now, but know that for sure it's going to pay off even more as the season goes along. You want to win this game. You want to win this game. But you also want to make sure that this kid is ready to go and be one of the key guys for the defense into the stretch run of the season. Something that stood out to me that you just said was going for the high upside in a matchup where you have some gaps to fill. Um, and Daniel, it, it kind of plays into what James Franklin said after practice on, on Wednesday. And you got to come up with some new wrinkles in a matchup like this. And you can't expect to be able to hang your hat on what you've done and hold up against the number two team in the country that they have a lot of respect for. And they've recruited a lot of components of that Buckeyes roster. They've got a strong feel for what's coming to town on Saturday. And I'm really curious defensively what that might mean. Because we know Mike Yersich, they had, they had some adjustments last week that were very necessary, and you want to see how those carry over. Uh, defensively, they had some too, but in this matchup, what may they throw C.J. Stroud's way early from that second level of this defense, from that back seven? And when you talk about bringing Abdul Carter on the field, it's not so much about taking Jonathan Sutherland off the field, although that's what's happening. To me, it's just they can't keep number 11 off the field right now in good conscience as a coaching staff. Definitely. I think when you look at who the best players in that back seven are, the, the guys that absolutely have to be on the field, you know, Curtis Jacobs is one of them. And I think that through the first uh, six games of the season up until last week, Abdul Carter uh, was another one because every time he was around the field, he was around the ball. And when you're going up against a, a team like Ohio State, which just has so many athletes on the field, is that I think you do have to go for that upside. Um, kind of like what Mark talked about that, you know, you need to have someone who is, you know, up at a similar caliber um, athletically out there because, you know, you this is where players make plays and you're going to need guys to step up in big spots. So I will be interested to see what that actually looks like. I think that when you look at how Penn State played Minnesota, that was kind of the compared to how they played Michigan, you saw the adjustment, you saw that they were willing to change and there's some flexibility. Um, so now I'm curious as to how they build off of that game plan and they use what worked against Minnesota and, you know, can some of that carry over to Ohio state, obviously making the the jump in talent, um, especially when it comes to the passing game, uh, which was virtually non-existent for Minnesota last week. That's pretty big. Um, but I think, like you mentioned, you look at the back seven, you know, which combination of players can you put there? How much can you keep Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs onto the field? Um, what can they do? What can those defensive backs do? You know, you can go, you know, Terry Smith has talked about going five deep um, at cornerback. We've seen them go four deep at safety. How can you mix and match and put these guys on the field? Um, 
in a way that might look a little different to Ohio State and in a way that can lead to positive results. We've maybe seen less volume for that five deep at cornerback that we have to note that two of the guys are, are splitting a starting job. Uh, from, but Daquan Hardy um, is a guy that we maybe thought we'd see more of over the course of the season. He was at 35 or so snaps in, in week one. His high since then is 16 snaps against Auburn about a month and a half ago almost at this point. But he's somebody that Terry Smith referenced on this Thursday and said probably going to have to play more based on the style of offense we're going up against, based on the personnel we're going to see. So this feels like a moment for Hardy uh, where he's going to have to kind of uh, not just take on those uh, those accrued reps, but he's going to be very pivotal in that slot coverage. And, and it's just an area that, that we have not seen him um, you know, just based on the way they've called this defense, they have not called his number as much. And if that changes, uh, we'll get a good look at the fourth year player who who was out there on the field a lot last year in Columbus. Um, Mark, when you look at this matchup, it's hard to look away from the cornerbacks versus the Ohio State wide receivers. We spent a lot of time just now with Patrick Murphy breaking down what the Buckeyes bring to the table, the depth at that position, the firepower. Uh, but let's not sell this group short at cornerback for Terry Smith. Um, we spoke with Johnny Dixon after practice on Wednesday. I think four of the first five or six questions were about Ohio State receivers. And I think maybe the next one after that was, are you tired of getting asked about Ohio State <laughs> receivers? I, I love it because because both these units, I am very confident, believe they are the best, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. And they'll get a chance here uh, with a large audience at a position where you'll get exposed in a hurry to show what they're made of. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens on the perimeter. And I think if Penn State can, can even get a stalemate of sorts out of the situation, that exponentially improves their opportunity to pull off an upset in this matchup. Yeah, a couple things. Number one, uh, I bet you you're going to see Penn State play a lot of press man coverage because they're gambling. I think Penn State's Manny Diaz, I think what we've kind of known about him is that uh, he's somebody who likes to get after it. And I think that's going to give you your best shot. Why not give you, you're looking at your corners. We've heard it all year. And, and your DBs is the best players on the team. Why not give them the opportunity? I know this is a great receiving core, but let's go strong against strong. Let's see how that plays out for you. And I think that gives you the best opportunity to have the rest of your defense do what it, what it needs to do. And I just don't know how many teams have actually tried that against Ohio State. You're going to give up big plays. You are going to give up big plays in this game, but the key is going to be to, to generate some turnovers on your own. I think that's the – for whoever is going to beat Ohio State this year is going to win the turnover battle, and you need to take chances to do this. The other thing, you know, this was just occurring to me. Uh, one of the common themes in a lot of these tight Penn State-Ohio State games was Penn State leading late – and then going to a, like a soft defense and, you know, Brent Pry, I love them, but it was a pattern in these games where Ohio state would march right down the field and score late touchdowns or get late scores. And, 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 you know, Penn state basically pulling defeat from the jaws of victory. I don't think Manny Diaz is wired this way. It's going to be really interesting if Penn state finds it, if it's a big, if I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if Penn state finds itself leading, Late in this game, the, you know, by by three points, by four points, does Manny Diaz back it off a little bit and and you know the old bend but bend but don't break, which became the bend and then break in so many of these games, or does he keep getting aggressive and keep getting after it? And I I, I suspect if you want to finally break through one of these games, you are going to need to be aggressive. When, when we saw. Uh, when we saw Penn State, the one time Penn State beat Ohio State under James Franklin, you had a, you had a, a block kick uh, for a uh, that, that was returned for a touchdown, an aggressive play. Uh, I remember a previous one where Tamba Hall Lee came through with a late sack, you know, aggressive defensive play. Late in the game, if Penn State somehow is leading, I think it has to keep being aggressive because we've learned that if you're not, Ohio State typically is going to have a quarterback and skill position players who are going to be able to pick you apart and, and steal that win. 
Another commonality of those close losses to the Buckeyes, Mark, and, and in those games when Penn State has had a late lead was the inability to close it out with long-lasting offensive possessions. Four minutes. It felt, yeah. Like, yeah. It felt like every single time and, – and look, you remember the big plays that, that JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins made offensively against the defense, but you also remember that the defense got, what, a, a, a one-and-a-half-minute blow on, on the sideline before they had to go back out and, and take on an all-world offense again. So that's been a problem, and that leads me to my next question. Can Penn State establish its ground game early in this game? Um, I don't think they'd be able to wait on it. I don't think they'll be in a position to say, oh, we'll figure out the ground game in the third quarter. If, if it doesn't happen early in this one, I'm worried for this offense that they're going to end up in a one-dimensional situation where Sean Clifford, kind of what we saw last year, I think he ended up with 360 passing yards I don't know if that's the right recipe here for Penn State. I don't think you want Sean Clifford going mano a mano. I think you want Sean Clifford facilitating this offense, and you want him getting the ball in the hands of playmakers, and you got two really good ones in that backfield. So I'm looking at the offensive line, which, as we said, there's moving pieces there in the interior. Uh, if if Caden Wallace can't go at right tackle, what does that mean about the ability to, to fill some roles at guard with Bryce Effner? Is he situated at right tackle all the way? There are some concerning potential elements on the offensive front, uh, but I'll give them credit. Uh, they have not been Penn State's bugaboo uh, very often this year. There's not a lot of points, even when Penn State has played terribly, where you say, let's rank the biggest problems with this program. And you say, number one, offensive line. There were a lot of times we did that last year. But here's Ohio State, and this has just felt like a matchup time and time again where you go through that litmus test and you say, where is Penn State falling far short of Ohio State? By the time you get to the end of these games, it feels like in the trenches, specifically Penn State's offense versus Ohio State's defense, the dam breaks at some point in these matchups. And it can't happen in this one if they want to be able to sustain the competition through four quarters. The, the, the running game really has to show up here. And I think they have the players to do that. Um, you, you look at what Nick, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen have done. Uh, so far this year, I think that they've shown themselves to be the type of players that can can make plays against a high level defense against a team that will have high level athletes on the field. That being said, they will need to get help from the offensive line. The offensive line is really going to have to pull its weight. Um, I think I'm confident in that, uh, given with what we've seen. Um, you know, still, there's still a lot of question marks that need to get ironed out between now and noon uh, on Saturday when we see what that starting five looks like uh, in the first quarter, and we see what that five looks like in the middle of the third quarter. Um, you know, if someone starts and if they last, if they need to shuffle things around a little bit, um, I think that there are a lot of questions about that line coming in. Um, but for once, I don't think the questions about it are necessarily, can it perform? Um, will it completely cost them the game? I think the question is more, can they be healthy enough? Can they be intact enough uh, to really give Penn State a chance to really give this running game uh, a chance to take off. But I think this is the type of game where you need some sort of big play. Um, you know, in 2016, it was the blocked field goal. Uh, the next year, it looked like it might be uh, Saquon Barkley's kickoff return to start the game. Um, you know, you need something kind of weird to happen to win one of these games. And while Nick Singleton breaking off an, an 85-yard touchdown run might not necessarily you know, fall in the weird category, it's still something that you know is a big play, is a big momentum shifter, is something that gets everyone's attention and can really you know be a huge swing. Um, and I, you look at the running backs, and I think that they are both capable um, of providing those types of plays. You know, it might look a little bit different based on uh, Nick Singleton, the freight train, and how Katron Allen plays, but. I think you look at those two guys back there, um, no matter what the offensive line looks like in front of them, you need to get them established. They need to produce if Penn State is going to have a chance in this one. Sean, Cl Sean Clifford was sacked five times last time Ohio State came here. He was sacked four times when they went to Columbus last year. The sack numbers have been much improved uh, over the course of this season thus far. But number 14 back in the spotlight, I, I don't imagine, I can't possibly imagine – We'll hear that segment of booze during the pregame warmups uh, or even through the first couple of possessions. But let's not sugarcoat it. Sean Clifford, every game the rest of the way, and he's down to just a, a handful of them at this point in his career, is going to be under that scrutinized spotlight. Um, he's coming off of a high mark in his career, but it's also two weeks removed from a, a low mark and where people were questioning his credibility as the starting QB. 
Mark, going into this matchup, again, you don't need him to go mano a mano with a, a potential Heisman Trophy front runner, getting some kind of quarterback battle here, but he's got to play clean football. I think that's where it starts. You need to see every bit of what encapsulates Mike Yersich's comments on having the 24-year-old 41 starts under your belt kind of guy and what you can get from that situation. That needs to show up, and it needs to show up through clean football in this matchup. Yeah, I think you hit on something, too, is that he doesn't have to be the guy. I mean, we've seen Sean Clifford pass for a bunch of yards against Ohio State and lose. We've seen him run for a bunch of yards for him uh, and lose. Uh, The formula, as you said, is to facilitate other players. And that comes across as a backhanded compliment. Uh, So be it. I mean, that's the way it is. He cannot make mistakes for them to have any opportunities you can't be throwing a pick six in this game. I mean, if you throw a pick six in this game, you're gonna get you're gonna get run out of the out of the building. Uh, I mean, in terms of Penn State getting blown out, you cannot give this team any any extra scoring opportunities. So, I, what I loved against Minnesota, and it's, it was a good Minnesota defense. You know, top top ten in the nation in, in yards per game allowed. Uh, he spread the wealth, touchdowns to four different receivers, uh, got the tight ends back involved. Uh, got the running backs involved in the passing game. And then the, the the running game picked up. That is what you're going to need from Sean Clifford. And I, and I guess the, the, the point that I would ask is, you know, you need that Sean Clifford. But have we ever seen that Sean Clifford against this caliber of team? And that's going right. to be the key. And the other thing for Clifford, and I think we talked about it earlier, listen, this, this is his last – this is very well – this is his last shot – in a regular season game to play this caliber of opponent, it's probably going to be his last shot to play a ranked opponent. I mean, it, he may have an opportunity if somebody, some one of these uh, schlub teams down, down at the end of the season sneaks up into the uh, top 25. I won't mention any programs, but um, <laughs> it's, it's there for him. And I think he's got to realize it's, you know, it's a delicate balancing act. You, you want to get this thing that you have that you've never been able to get. You would, I think, you would have gotten it against Iowa last year, had he not been banged up. But you can't try too hard. It, it's it, it, so. Is he able to get into that that zone and be that quarterback that he was against Minnesota? And I think if he is, they have a chance to beat anybody. But I just don't know that we can say confidently that he can be that guy against this caliber of opponent because we just haven't seen it. And I want to emphasize, he could play a fantastic game, the game of his career. They still not win this game. Trace McSorley played one of the gutsiest, most all-around impressive individual performances we've seen, uh, I think, from, from any Penn State quarterback against Ohio State a few years ago in this building, and it still wasn't enough to overcome Ohio State in that matchup. So we'll see what happens. It's not all on Clifford, but a very large bulk of that pressure for this offense uh, to, to go about its business is on him playing clean football. And a big part of it is on winning those matchups on the perimeter. It's something we discussed earlier this week. We won't get back into that now. But hearing from Mitch Tinsley this week about what they were able to do, some some big play shots down the field last week in the passing game. He said they had confidence they could do it, but it's another thing to put it on game film so opposing defenses have to respect it and account for it. They're going to need that to continue. Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, this tight end room. Keandre Lambert-Smith, is he involved? We didn't see him at wide receiver last week. We saw him on special teams. He can be a guy with the ball in his hands that can do some things. been a while since we've seen that from him. Um, speaking of all sorts of Penn State players, let's get into our players of the game before we wrap up with our predictions. And, Daniel, let's start with you. Who are you looking at from a Nittany Lions perspective, offensively, defensively? Offensively, I'm going to go with Olu Fashionu. Um, I think that Ohio State has, has recruited well in terms of the defensive line. Uh, so he's going to see a pretty big challenge. And then when it comes to Sean Clifford, you got to keep Sean Clifford upright uh, you know, and give him time to have the chance to hit some of those deep shots um, that, that we saw last week from Minnesota. So I'll start there on the offensive side. And then on the de- defensive side of the ball, I'll go with Jair Brown. Um, I think he has three interceptions this year. Um, he is, you know, he had led the nation last year. Uh, he has a nose for the football and this is the type of game where you need your team captains. You need your best players on that side of the ball. Uh, you need them to step up. And so I'm going to go there uh, with Jair Brown. Mark, where do you land on these? Offensively, I'll go with Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, I think Ohio State, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on Parker Washington. They know what Parker Washington can do. He's had some good games against them. 
Uh, I, I think it was great for Penn State that that the the tight ends emerged last week because I think that put a lot on tape for Ohio State to really be concerned about, and they'll also be concerned about those running backs. So I think there's an there's an opportunity here for Tinsley to get some things done. You know, maybe he, I don't want to say he's been under the radar, but you know, you're coming off last week. Everybody was talking about Parker Washington's big catch. I thought Tinsley's one-handed catch was actually even more impressive, even though it wasn't for a touchdown. And I just think he's been a more consistent player. And over on defense, I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble. I, I'm I'm gonna roll the dice and say Joey Porter Jr. because the Penn State's never had a defensive back taking in, taken in the first round of the NFL draft. And if Joey Porter Jr. could get it done, I think he could pretty much cement that. Uh, yeah. In this game. Now, this is a, you know, boom or bust pick because I know how good these receivers are and they could make even the best quarterback in the nation look bad. So boom or bust. I'm going on a line and I'm going to say this is the game where Joey Porter Jr. Penn State win, lose or draw. I think Joey Porter Jr. firmly establishes himself as the guy who's going to break that streak of no Penn State DB ever going in the first round of the NFL draft. It's every stage you could ask for as a confident cornerback, this kind of matchup, and we'll see what Porter does with it. I'll stay in that cornerback room for my defensive pick, and I'll go with Johnny Dixon, the guy we heard from after practice yesterday. Um, I think we're going to see starters reps for the top three cornerbacks. I think that's just the way you're going to have to approach it with, with the level of play these guys bring to the field. With Kalen King, because of all the noise around him as a freshman last year, because he has, uh, I think, 11 pass breakups, which is behind uh, Joey Porter by one. They're both top five nationally. I think some people kind of forget about Johnny Dixon and what he has meant uh, as a valued member of this defensive secondary. And look, he might get exposed. I mean, you're right. Everybody's at risk of, of the, the great season coming crashing down against this Buckeyes receiver unit and the quarterback that'll try to get them the ball. Uh, but I'll take Dixon here. I think he's going to be under the microscope. So he's certainly a player to watch. And then offensively, I'm actually going to go outside of the starting lineup, potentially Bryce Efner, because that's the question to me. If he is the starting right tackle and Caden Wallace is watching football, that really impacts what you can accomplish from a depth perspective on the offensive interior because I don't think you're taking Bryce Efner away from right tackle to put him in a position to play guard. I don't think you have enough depth at the tackle position right now where you're confident enough to send somebody else out there to protect Sean Clifford's right side against this Buckeyes defense. So that could mean that a guy like Vega Ioane, the true freshman who played in his second game last week, maybe he takes a step forward in his involvement at guard. I want to see is Salim Wormley full go. Is he back to playing every rep? He wasn't last week. So a lot of things to work through, but Bryce after we could see him at a couple positions. We could see him at one position for the longest stretch of any point in his career. Uh, he just somebody that feels like is going to need to be a glue guy on what could be a bit of a dicey day for the offensive line if they don't have all their pieces in place. Guys, let's make our final predictions, and we're adding a little element to it now moving forward on the podcast. Mark Brennan threw out the suggestion. You can never get too bold on the podcast, so why not add some bold predictions for each of us? And, Daniel, so this is how it'll work. Your game prediction for the score and your bold prediction within this game. I went Ohio State 34, Penn State 27. Uh, as we've talked about before, these games have been close the past couple of years. Even when it, even when it's been a double-digit game, it hasn't gotten above that that 15 and a half threshold that you know we, we've seen this week. So I think that Penn State will be up for it. I just think that Ohio State is, is too talented across the board. Um, so I think it'll be Ohio State 34, Penn State 27. Bold prediction, this Penn State passing uh, defense holds holds C.J. Stroud uh, below 60% completion percentage. Um, Stroud has been below 60% once this season. Uh, he was at 59.1% against Rutgers, uh, 13 of 22. Didn't really need to do much that game. Um, I think he'll, need, he'll have to do more in this game. And I think when you look at these Penn State cornerbacks, when you look at the potential of a Penn State pass rush, when you look at what Manny Diaz could potentially do, um, I think they'll be able to close up some of these windows, make things a little bit uncomfortable, and hold Stroud a little, uh, quite a bit below his uh, 70% average on the season uh, entering this weekend. All right, Mark, same couple questions for you. I think it's going to be more of a, excuse me, defensive struggle uh, than than people think. Um, Penn State, these games, I think they've been they've been. There's been better defense played in these games than, than Ohio State usually uh, sees, I guess, is the best way to put it. Uh, I do think 
uh, Penn State's going to generate a couple of turnovers. That's going to help mitigate all that scoring damage that Ohio State is able to do. I think Sean Clifford plays well, but not quite well enough. C.J. Stroud, to me, ultimately makes some big plays toward the end of this game, and Ohio State wins 31-20. to 20. I think I'm low in terms of total of all of our uh, prognosticators. In terms of bold predictions, uh, this game has former five-star recruits at wide receiver, former four-star recruits at wide receiver, but I'm going to go with a guy who uh, played at Western Kentucky before <laughs> before this season and I think is going to prove that, that, that he is in the same category as a lot of these players uh, in, in Mitchell Tinsley. I think he's going to come through and finish this game with more receiving yards than any other receiver, than any other wide receiver in this game. So Mitchell Tinsley is my guy, not the most heavily recruited guy, but I think he's been a hidden gem for Penn State or a gem for Penn State out of the transfer portal. And uh, I think it's going to be his opportunity to really step up and shine. The moment won't be too big for Mitchell Tinsley. We're we're all of a similar mindset here. I I just don't see – I mean, I can certainly see Ohio State surpassing that 15-and-a-half point spread, but I'm not picking it. I'm going with a, with a tighter score. It's just the history of this uh, this series suggests that it will play out that way. The fact that this game is at Penn State, the fact that they were able to generate some positive momentum, I just don't feel like Penn State is right for the picking to enter a buzzsaw situation against this Buckeyes team. But I don't think they're in a position where they're going to be able to, to, to outscore Ohio State in that kind of shootout, and I'm not sure – they'll be able to come up with enough momentum swinging plays on both sides of the football because Ohio State will have their fair share. So that explosive play battle, I think, is going to be paramount. I think Penn State will fall short comparatively to Ohio State. I'm going 38-30, to 30, uh, the Buckeyes winning this one. Uh, more points than you, Mark, um, but but a, 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 an opportunity potentially for Penn State to have the ball with a chance to drive and, and tie the game up at the end. But I, I think this will have a similar feel to last year where it's going to be on that border of a two-possession or, or a wide one-possession margin for a lot of the game. It's going to feel like every possession Penn State need to, needs to put points on the board. And I do think Sean Clifford will play one of his better performances, uh, but ultimately I just don't think it'll be clean enough for the offensive body of work. And I have some questions about their ability to, to really get that ground game going and be able to stick with it through the second half. And I think that's really going to be imperative for them uh, to, to put Ohio State on upset alert. My bold prediction, how about the takeaway King striking? You, you, you talked about the need for, for a uh, momentum swinging plays. This is a guy, Zaki Wheatley. He's pro- he feels due for one. It's been a little while after all the talk about him, three early turn ter- takeaways in September. Um, I'm going to pick him to come up with one over the course of the day. I think those safeties are going to play a huge role. All four of them are going to play a bunch of football. Uh, Jalen Reed, Zaki Wheatley uh, coming off the sideline out of that starting lineup and uh, sign me up for some sort of takeaway uh, for the leader in that department for preseason camp and spring ball. So there's our picks. That's what we got for you on a Thursday. We got a lot more coming your way at lions247.com. Between now and then, recruiting is happening. There's a basketball notebook up as well because not only was there the media day availability this week, which Daniel discussed on our most recent episode of this podcast, but there is a significant recruiting opportunity for the basketball program uh, this weekend with some guys on campus. More on that at lions247.com. We've got a a growing list of prospects on the football end going to be here in town. And of course, getting you ready for kickoff along the way. We're in the press box early Saturday morning. Follow us along at lions247.com. we got some things to sort through before kickoff in terms of personnel availability. For Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.